Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is episode 200. Episode 200, I have Russell Howard on the show who is one of the biggest comedians in the UK. Not just in the UK though, he is a massive star worldwide but he plays the stadiums in the UK, plays to massive venues around the rest of the world and he is a brilliant stand-up comedian and one of those people who likes talking about stand-up comedy. So look, it's fair to say that if, you know there is a lot of this episode that is just Russell and I talking about stand-up comedy with somebody else who enjoys talking about stand-up comedy. But it's my 200th episode and I'll bloody talk about stand-up comedy if I want to. So thanks for listening and I hope you really enjoy this episode with Russell. Uh, we did originally have other plans for the 200th. Uh, in fact, we put out a little listener survey a week and a half ago when we realised we were coming up to the 200th. We're a pretty organised mob in here at uh, Willosophy HQ and uh, we realised that episode 200 was about to happen. And uh, so we put out a little listener survey expecting we might get sort of 10 or 20 responses and I could base an episode around that kind of reflecting, you know, the listeners and what you think of the show and what your personal philosophies are. So it turned out 120 people answered that survey in quite a lot of detail and it overwhelmed me a little bit. I have not read through all the answers because I only got about 10 or 15 in and people were sharing such lovely stuff about the show that I realised that I did not quite know how I was going to reflect that on the 200th episode. So what I've decided to do in stage is in stage instead is release this episode with Russell because I think this is a really good 200th. I'm really proud of this episode. I really enjoyed it a lot myself. You know, Russell was just a cool guy to have on the show and he was so incredibly generous and I'd love to have him back at another time to keep talking to him about all the brilliant things in life. But I thought this was a good 200th episode um, with Russell Howard. And then what I'm going to do with those 120 responses I have and I don't know, maybe I'll even open it up more. If you want to go and find that survey, you still want to fill it in. If you want to tell me what your philosophy is, if you want to give me some reflections on your favourite guests and what they meant to you, what I'm going to do probably is a series of bonus episodes. I think that's going to be the best way to do it because I might try to get in, you know, maybe some guest hosts for those bonus episodes. Maybe I'll do some of those bonus episodes by myself and I will get through that correspondence and I will use that correspondence as a bit of a way to reflect on the last seven years, the last 200 episodes. And I think that's a good way to do it. In what I've already looked at from the correspondence, there's just so many fun bits, silly bits, serious bits that I would hate to not give them all the credit that they deserve. So I will do a series of bonus episodes. Some of them will just be me, like this, rambling, reading through some of the correspondence and, you know, responding to it. Some of them, like I said, I might get, you know, Charlie to come in or I might get one of the guests that is mentioned quite regularly in the correspondence to come in and co-host them uh, with me and I'll put them out as a series of bonus episodes over the next week or over the next couple of weeks. I'm currently in Adelaide and uh, the only internet I have is hotspot off my phone. So this introduction will be enough for me recording and sending things to podcast mic this week but back in the land of internet in a couple of days and at that stage i'll start working on some bonus episodes and i will put them up in the feed so if you would like to be part of those bonus episodes like i said i've already got 120 responses so it is a lot of responses that i need to get through already but if you really have been moved by the podcast or it's meant something really specifically to you or a guest on the show has said something that was really specifically meaningful to you and you want to have that represented in this little series that I'm going to do, then please uh, find the survey, fill out the survey and uh, let us know 
what it is that particularly you know moved you or amused you or whatever it is okay um you know what i also want to do just in this little intro so russell he does shows all over the world go and see russell howard I have a couple of episodes up my sleeve that I just want to give a quick promote to or at least give the artists involved in them a promote for some shows that they're doing. So Nina Oyama is doing me right now is the name of her show. Uh, I recorded an episode with Nina after she'd been on a weekend long bender. So that is a fun episode and a funny episode and a very random episode and that will be coming out in a few weeks but in the meantime you should go and see her shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and another one, one that I absolutely enjoyed very much was with Anna Piper Scott now you might not know the name Anna Piper Scott but look her up because she it's one of my favorite episodes of philosophy and as you will hear when you eventually get to hear the audio of that one unfortunately my trusty old SD card uh, fucked out on me during the recording of that so we have Anna's side of the interview and we are piecing together my side of the interview so that was already meant to be out by now her show is called Queer and Present Danger it has been playing at the Adelaide Fringe to rave reviews but after that she will be at the Butterfly Club the Butterfly Club as part of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival so a recommendation hopefully that episode we will be able to get it out soon but in the meantime check out Anna Piper Scott and her show Queer and Present Danger there are so many good episodes I have up my sleeve Uh, there's a new one with Judith Lucy coming up because she has a book uh, out and you know I always loved catching up with Judith Lucy I almost released that one uh, as the 200th episode there's one with Linda Mariano from uh, formerly of Triple J and fuck that's a good episode as well really enjoyed talking to Linda Uh, Mark Bonanno from uh, Auntie Donna there's one up my sleeve Steen Raskopoulos I finally got to re-record the uh, famous lost missing episode with Steen Raskopoulos so that one is coming up soon Declan Fay the brilliant Declan Fay uh, that is a great chat but that's also one that I have to redo the audio because uh, Anna's episode and Declan's episode were the two that got lost uh, when my SD card decided after seven years of trusty service to just uh, fuck off and not really help me with anything anymore so a whole bunch of really good episodes up my sleeve plus a bunch of really good guests um, lined up to come up on the show as well so uh, thank you so much for listening uh, over the last 200 episodes I, I really do appreciate it if you're a new listener because you've come in because of Russell Howard I apologize firstly for this long rambly bit at the start it's in most episodes uh, if you don't like the long rambly bit I assume you just skip over the long rambly bit uh, this week i'll be doing a whole bunch of bonus episodes will essentially just be long rambly bits if you like this show and you would like to support it coming out regularly the reason that it's come out every week for the last couple of years is because of the hard work of podcast mike michael liberale the hard work of james fosdelic putting out all the original artwork for the episodes uh my partners in our little business tofop charlie clawson and sam kavanagh uh, tofop.com is where you can find all our shows there is Fop, there is Fofop, there is our AFL adjacent show, Two Guys, One Cup. We are always uh, making a whole bunch of things. We have a little indie media company. And of course, to Taylor, who came on board this year, she has been doing such an incredible job with the social media around the shows. And uh, it was Taylor who put together the survey that I'll be using for the listener feedback shows. And it's just been great to have her as part of our team as well, as well as everybody who has helped in the past, in uh, particular, the brilliant Mike Cal, the former producer of this show. So thank you so much 
to everybody for listening for the last 200 episodes of this show. Hopefully there'll be a whole bunch more. The best way you can support me if you can't go to patreon.com slash philosophy. And by the way, I would recommend going there, particularly at the moment, because if you want to come and see me at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, there is a deal on the Patreon page. There is a code word that you can use to book some tickets and they will actually get you 25% off tickets to the show. Now, that's like 15 bucks off and it can only cost you as little as a US dollar per month to join on the Patreon. So, look, you can do the math there. If you want to come to my show and you want to get a discount, join up on the Patreon for this show, get the discount, come to my stand-up show. I will be doing My Show Will Legal for two weeks at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival at the Arts Centre. I've been doing that show for the last few nights here in Adelaide at the Adelaide Fringe and it has been the best fun that I have ever had doing the show. Uh, partly because it's a different you know, way for me to do the show now. Originally when I did Were Legal, I was still very close to the incident that inspired it and it made sometimes quite a tricky thing to relive every night. I am now far enough away from that that I'm just enjoying telling the story and doing the show. But secondly, I just think... I've had a year off doing the thing that I love the most and being being able to be back in front of audiences and, you know, entertain them and them to have so much fun coming out to see an event has just been absolutely incredible and I could not be looking forward to it more in Melbourne after a year of us not having the world's greatest comedy festival, which is what the Melbourne International Comedy Festival is. Um, I can't wait for this year. I, I, all I would say to people is get out, see as many shows as you possibly can, um, celebrate live performance support particularly young and emerging performers but also you know look after old blokes like me come out and see if we're legal two weeks only as part of the melbourne international comedy festival thank you so much to everybody for listening to the show and i hope you really enjoyed this episode with the brilliant russell howard Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast, and this is how the show always starts. I ask my guests who they are. So, who are you? Um, my name is Russell Howard, and I am a comedian. Hello, my name is Russell Howard, and I am a comedian. Yeah. You felt like you were being interviewed by immigration or something, like I'd found traces of something in your bag on the way through customs, and I'd taken you to a back room. Do you know? And you answered that with <laughs> such consideration and no sense of excitement. Or yeah. No, at really, just a sensible answer i spoke like a man who uh has been through uh, quarantine <laughs> yeah. and, and was trying to desperately get into the best hotel that's what happens in new zealand you don't know when you go into the two weeks what hotel you're going to stay in so you're at your best like sort of like this weird eight-year-old version of yourself yes sir correct sir and they ask you the first question they go are you worried about your mental health and you have to lie. So you're just like, no, no, I'm, f I'm fine. I normally stay in hotels on my own for two weeks. I'll be fine. Because you, you don't want to say like, yeah, I think I'm going to go mad and wank like a gibbon because you, you don't want that on a form. So I've got into this weird, almost like... Do you have anything with plastic walls? Yeah, mate, plastic exactly. Plastic walls would be good. But so I, I sort of find myself talking like a, you know, like a footballer does at the end of, well, you know, it was a tough game. It was a game of 90 minutes. We gave it our best. So, yeah, I apologise for that. Um, but my name is Russell Howard and I am a comedian. So, yeah. It's very factual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I appreciate the honesty of it. <laughs> and I'm sorry that I unpicked it a little. I want to know how long you've spent in quarantine because 
I was saying to a friend of mine the other day that I'm finding it very hard to know what to talk about on stage during okay. this time because I feel like the world has experienced something that through no design of my own, I've kind of not experienced at the same time. Like I had the thing with quarantine where, uh, with the lockdown where all my work for a year was cancelled. Mm. So I have an insight into that aspect of it, having your business shut down, mm. you know, even your career, your livelihood. Yes. The idea of, you know, when will you do it again? All the things that we went through. But I've never been in a place in the last year where there was a lockdown. Mm. So I've never actually experienced, I haven't traveled anywhere and had to be in quarantine. Right. I haven't had to be in a lockdown. Any kind of like, any time I've stayed at home, it's been really through my own choice. No one would have had a problem if I'd gone out and about. I was just trying to be sensible. How much have you spent in lockdown? Tell me about your COVID uh, 12 months. Okay, wow. Um, so I feel like everyone has a similar and a completely different story. And I think maybe that's one of the things that connects us all through COVID. Um, but my particular, so I was in uh, Denmark about to start a European tour and uh, my wife was gonna take a career break. She's a doctor and she was gonna spend the year traveling the world with me which I was very nervous about because she'd never come on tour with a comedian. And you know, it's like, start us at our finest. <laughs> but that was the plan. And then uh, we went, we had to get out of Denmark because the gigs were canceled, went back to London and my wife went back to work and I stayed at home um, for, for the first lockdown. And that was pretty full on. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the the sort of first British lockdown went on for 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 ages, and I was actually yeah um, at my parents' house for some of that because our house was. Uh, my wife has friends who are doctors, and they lived with elderly relatives, and they didn't want to give corona to their relatives. So our house became this kind of space where doctors could be, and. Mm. They, and no room for clowns. No room for clowns. <laughs> We've and got to move out some clowns. Mate, if to move in some doctors. But that's what it felt like. It felt a bit like they were. It was like in an Edinburgh flat, and <laughs> and I was a muggle, and they were like, "Can we can we lose this prick?" Because you know they just wanted to talk about microphones and uh, and crowds. <laughs> so yeah, so I went. I stayed with my parents for six weeks. So I celebrated my fortieth birthday in lockdown at my parents house in my old teenage bedroom where there are still posters of Robbie Fowler um, on the wall and it felt like the room was mocking me and it was one of the most you know I wasn't doing it often but just really depressing occasional bouts of masturbation and you could feel like the room giggling at me going you again back to your old tricks and you're like well I'm actually my name's Russell Howard and I'm a comedian oh yeah, yeah. and yet you find yourself here again um so so th that was that but I mean hopefully having improved in at least yeah masturbation techniques over that not really that was still <laughs> still like a toad just getting rid of its poison and anyways so that was that and then and then I was doing a TV show from my bedroom in the UK where I was kind of interviewing uh, people. It was like a little Zoom chat show and I kind of spoke to various people. I spoke to Michelle Wolf. Michelle had a f 
phenomenally bizarre experience. She basically quarantined in the guest house of Dave Chappelle for like six months. So her story of, with everything that went on in America is fascinating that she was next to this kind of, you know, Michelle is phenomenal herself and she's staying with this titan of stand-up when all this kind of, you know, social upheaval is going on in America. Um, so, you know, you can't wait to hear what her experience of COVID is and her sort of stories and whatnot. Um, so anyway, so I was doing this TV show and I was chatting to people. It's got to be tough, though, also, like if you're sharing the COVID experience with the world's greatest comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. In most rooms, Michelle could be like, I will get the most used out of this yeah. material. That's my material. <laughs> yeah. But when you're staying in Dave Chappelle's guest house, yeah. and something like, say you're sharing breakfast, and something funny comes up in a riff, and you both look at each other, Michelle's just got to go back to her little uh, spare room and be grateful for the opportunity to stay somewhere nice. Yeah. Rather than... Well, this is it, exactly. And it's like, who, it's all, I've, you know, I've never been out with a comedian, but that would be my greatest fear. If something really funny happened and then you sort of look each other in the eyes and go well one of us is going to cook this meal right <laughs> and it's just it's a race to see who gets it man but so anyways I guess when your partner's a doctor at least you're not too worried unless she's like a clown doctor unless she's a Patch Adams type no you're both going to be using the same material yeah she is um, yeah she's just you know completely opposite to me but phenomenal so calm so Oh, selfless. In fact, she went back to work. Extraordinary thing to do. Um, because okay, so talk to me, if you don't mind, a little bit about that because I love this stuff. And because this was a... And these are these effects everybody went through it together but in very different ways. Uh -huh. These are just effects on your life. You two had obviously had a discussion. She doesn't give up her work lightly, I imagine. So yes. you'd had like... You know, talks about how this would be something that you would both enjoy doing. You admitted that you have some reservations about the idea of, you know, that ordinarily, you know, our characteristics are balanced out on a day-to-day -day basis for our partners, but on tour they're separated. You said before we're not at our best. Mm. Well, the irony is we're also at our best. Yes. For that 90 minutes a night, you're being at your absolute best, yes. the level you cannot sustain in any other time. But there's some balance where it's not like the rest of our lives can just be that normal balance we normally have exactly they have to be a disaster to match the idea that we can give us you know, a paying amount of people our best so i often thought that like you never saw like lois lane never had to see clark kent ironing his cape right do you know what i mean and and sort of getting his tights ready in case he's got a ladder and his tights and kind of getting his, his little boots all shiny just in case he has to kind of go out and save the day. Yeah, it's sort of this weird... Yeah, I mean, it's fun to be Spider-Man, but when Spider-Man has to spend the next half an hour after, like, defeating the enemy, going back and collecting his clothes and his bag from Correct. he did it behind, like, some dumpster. Yeah. That's just admin. Well, that's what I mean. The admin of superheroes has never been... And that's a title, whoever wants to grab hold of that, for the admin of superheroes, <laughs> where you just... You just get superheroes in cars drinking coffee, just talking about the time yeah. that they've, you know, Superman's caught his cape in a car door, and you're like, oh, you know what that? Oh, tell me about it. Do you know what I mean? You know what that is? That is a real. <laughs> yeah. I feel like. You know, like trying to find another reason to be valuable to, yeah. to the team. There's in comedy documentaries, there's always some good host who was like the never the world's greatest comedian, but was like understands it enough to ask the right questions. I feel like, yeah, that's your Hawkeye. Hawkeye's yes. your Mark Maron of the uh, 
of that very world, much so yeah uh, okay so you anyway you'd planned this whole thing where your wife and you had this she's going to give up her work for a while she's going to come with you on the road and then through none of your circumstances through circumstances of the world just changing mm -hmm. overnight suddenly your job is impossible to do it's a super spreader you're literally a monster who invites strangers into a room and tries to get them to expel fluids from their mouth as often mm -hmm. as possible the funnier you are the worse you are and she is like a necessary hero mm. people who are literally on the front line of society so just in the perspective of what the focus of your relationship was going to be she was going to be a bit more focused around your world and then suddenly the priorities have to go yeah. completely in the opposite direction absolutely yeah um sort of like a real i had like such a i have like a deep respect for doctors anyway like their brains are extraordinary they're so wildly selfless and the it, I, it's sort of that when it got really bad is if you watch the documentary about people in hospitals and you saw all the ppe that they were wearing that's kind of a real a really heavy particularly the beginning of covid uh, where it was very difficult because obviously i never see my wife at work so when you sort of imagine, it's like, you know, at the very beginning, it felt not to overly dramatize, but it felt like seeing footage from the trenches and seeing your wife in the trench. And it just, it's a bewilderingly scary experience, but you're also sort of immensely proud of them, you know? But, it, but on the flip side, she's just doing her job. Do you know what I mean? So she was in complete and utter go mode in the same way that, you know, to simplify it for us, that's how we would be if we were in a comedy festival or doing a show. It's like, it's go time, you know? So, yeah, after that six weeks, I came back home and then I pretty much made dinner for my wife for, you know, four months until my TV show started. So that was kind of all I did. I'd, I'd like write during the day and then she would go out to work and that's what our role became and i was i took the dog for a walk and um yeah and i made dinner every night and i kind and how did you how did you feel about that like what was your because suddenly you're doing something mm. you know you're a guy who has a lot of stuff on mm. you know you're one of those people i think is you know creativity seems to energize you so yeah. you're often doing a lot of things and then suddenly you just can't like the most responsible thing that you can possibly do, even if you didn't live with a doctor, but like regardless of that, the most responsible thing you can do is just shut it all down for a while and let the essential people do their jobs and get out of the way, right? Absolutely, like, yeah. So you have to. Yeah. So what was it like when you were suddenly just in the middle of that, you know, walking the dog and making dinner and not having to sort of relentlessly think about, you know, yourself and what you're doing? Well, my... what. It was very interesting because I'm I'm really good friends with uh, James Bay, the singer, and we had we'd have these kind of long kind of conversations about um, comedy and music, and I got weirdly obsessed with uh, stand-up again. Not that it takes much for me to be obsessed with it, but I kind of really got into writing, like like actually sitting at my desk and like writing. And I've always written for my TV shows, but stand up had been very much bullet pointy, and then I'd taken it on stage and kind of sort of explored it. So oddly, I really enjoyed trying to learn a new skill within this uh, world that I already loved. 
do you know what I mean? Like I thought, okay, I'll see if I can like write stand up, and I found it really enjoyable to kind of sit down and try and almost transcribe routines, basically from all the notes I had in my phone. So instead of taking it to stage, I tried to make myself laugh, and I really, I really enjoyed it. So the days would go by so quickly because I was trying to figure out this funny thing that had happened to me in uh, in Denmark and I turned that into a little bit do you know what I mean and then I had this kind of imaginary target in my head of going there's going to be a moment where uh, comedy is going to come back again and you have to have stuff you you otherwise you're not a comedian in my mind, I was just going, you know, I, I don't have kids. My wife is busy. All I've got to do is make dinner and walk a dog. I've got to make this useful for me. And the thing I love is is kind of stand-up and comedy. So I was watching lots of specials and kind of got really inspired. I watched Seinfeld special. And I've never really, like, he's never really got me. I don't know. He's, you know, I've never really found him... Particularly, I understand. Particularly funny. I know that sounds really weird, but no, no, no. He's like one of the greatest comedians of all time. But he has a like unique style. Yeah. That I think, you know, the part part of the reason for his super success is that he manages to do really good stuff that appeals to people who aren't super fans of stand up comedy. But I think there is something in his stand up. If you're a super fan of stand up comedy that perhaps you've seen other artists do mm. more interesting mm. or whatever things. But his great success is that he's managed to be, you know, the most successful stand-up comedian in the world yeah. and relatable yeah. but also good, you know. Like, I mean, that's really been well, but his stuff, hasn't it? Well, exactly. And what I was thinking when I was watched his special, um, I, I was like... Here is a here is a bloke that he is doing exactly what he wants to do, and he is doing that the very best for his audience and for himself. He that's exactly what he wants to talk about, and he's made it the best it can be. So I just it just set off like this alarm bell where you go, that's that's got to be the code, hasn't it? It's like if you think something's funny, if you apply that kind of with nothing else to do. This is the thing. You've got nowhere to go at night. You, the, the football isn't on. Uh, you know, all you've got are Zoom conversations with your cousins and your family. Um, that, that, that's the closest you get to a gig. Um, so I just had to kind of almost trick myself into creating like these mini gigs. So that's what I was doing. I, I wrote absolute loads during the pandemic and then half of it was good. Do you know what I mean? And then, so when I was doing gigs in, we started doing gigs in the UK in sort of July in like socially distance. Some of it was really working and then some of it, you just go, ah, oh, bollocks, that was two weeks of work. <laughs> that, I, had, you know, it was re- that I thought was really funny and I was really enjoying it. And you're like, oh, well, never mind. But that's just the, uh, the way of it. So in a very long answer to your question, that's kind of how I got through. I kind of found a new way to kind of, be creative but not I was trying to be creative for the future audience not with the current audience which is what I would do normally you know I'm interested in you know the idea of how form dictates content and so if you've got an idea and you you take it to stage and you work it out in front of people like there is an element of that that is always riding the wave of them as an audience, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, they've connected with this first beat of this idea. I could have made at this juncture, I've got this set up, 
I could have made at this juncture five different choices. For whatever reason, I've made this one and they like it. Mm -hmm. And um, you run that through and they like that and you go, well, this is how it's always meant to have been. Yes. And you never go back and explore those four other ways that you could have done that joke to see where they could have gone because we've locked in an answer. This seems like a pretty satisfactory answer for this, mm. this story. That's what it is. So the yes. audience has been a collaborator in the construction of the content, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're at home, it's just you going, which of these five ways do I prefer? Or am I going to explore them all and then come back and make a value judgment about that? So how much does the change in writing do you think affect the actual content of what it is that you're saying? That's a really good point, isn't it? Massively, because the, uh, but I remember my friend, the comedian John Richardson said something really amazing when we were younger. He was like, I tell you what, there's nothing quite like a crowd to suddenly make you fucking funny, isn't there? Yeah. And it's really true, eh, that you can ju you find this, the, you find your 15-year-old self on the back of the bus again, needing to, to say the funny things so you don't get beaten up. You, you, you mean, it's that kind of, so I, I, if you're lucky enough to have that, where your brain just kicks in, um, in a way that it doesn't always annoyingly when you're sat in front of a keyboard, your brain is just idly sat there, but will suddenly arrive. At, like like I did this uh, show yesterday in Adelaide, and my brain was like, oh, what about to a bit I've been doing for like you know two months or something. Uh, my brain's like, what about this? We could just pop this here, and you're like, Where? well, could you not have turned up two months ago? Yeah, do you know what I mean, I was just busy, so <laughs> I kind of. Uh, we, it's sort of when you get to that lovely flow state with an idea that you sort of you you get it up and you get the bare bones of it, and then the crowd helps you push it into places, and and they're always right, I think, because even it it's sort of you just have to go with the the data weirdly it's like if you're trying at one of the six paths and three of those paths don't work and you keep stubbornly going down those paths either you haven't figured out the way to make those paths clear so that other people can go through them or they're blocked that you shouldn't go that way you know so i think the, the i think almost being with yourself and sort of marinating with yourself and trying to kind of cultivate the best version of the paths is brilliant but ultimately when you present the map to the crowd they will help you make the uh the selection i think for, for me but then i i'm fundamentally a i like making people laugh i don't like upsetting crowds I like challenging them, but when I get it wrong, I never feel good about myself. You know, I, I never have that. I find I struggle a bit with comics that have that. N not for you, really. <laughs> okay. You know, well, you are, you're a, you're, I guess you're a Monday night crowd. And that thing where you go, <laughs> or you haven't finished that bit, mate. Do you know what I mean? This, I like stuff that's ambitious and finished. But if you're having to pull out and go you know those, those kind of you know oh the guardian readers don't like all that not for these people over there and all these things you go well, there is a way of making it 
I like, that's why I love someone like John Cairns. He's such a great comic because he's so left field, but he is trying so hard to make everybody in that room laugh. He's not making any value judgments on anyone. Like he could make my mum laugh and he could make like a, a dog walking hipster laugh, you know, and he, and, and, but he's not sneering. I've got no time for the sneer. I just, because it's not, it's just not me. I feel bad if I don't make people laugh, you know? Yeah, but there is two things. And I, by the way, I think you're on the right side of these two things, which is yeah. one person who is just like, I will do anything that there is so that I can make as many people as possible laugh. Right? Sure, sure. Or yeah. there's people who, and John's a good example of what you're talking about, because John's act is not necessarily for everybody, right? Yeah. But it's pitch like presented as if like everyone want, everyone should love this right like there's no inbuilt in it that you won't like it it's meant to be loved by everybody yeah. i think the example i often use in a show if someone's like a really loud laugher I've, I've got a bit of a thing of like comedians who shut down the loud laugher i like to go the complete opposite on that which is like no see that's the level yeah like she gets it you know like I, I know that what I planned out to do and like it got there for someone yeah. so you know what I'm, I'm choosing to believe she's right and the rest of you guys are going to get back up to her level absolutely and it's it's there's that beautiful Mitch Hedberg line where he kind of goes uh, that we've got a guy over there with a big laugh. He's a loud, he's a loud laugher. Which, but I've only heard you once, so that indicates you didn't, <laughs> you did not enjoy the rest of the show. That's always what I think because my brother's got like a proper like <laughs> laugh. He laughs like that. He goes, <laughs> and um, uh, you know when he's, you know when he's in, and you know when he ain't. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> but he's not allowed. When I do my TV show, he's come to most of the shows down the years, and he's never been allowed in the crowd because he has to sit in the green room with the uh, with the lawyers because you couldn't have him in the room because he he uh, he freaks people out because he laughs too much when he enjoys a joke or when he sees his older brother failing miserably. Like he'll really laugh. But you're like, that's, you're exactly right. That's, that's the sound of somebody enjoying themselves. And by the way, there is no bigger laugh than if your brother's a comedian and you see your brother fuck up a joke. It's, I remember he did that at the O2. He did it at the O2 and I, I got a joke wrong and he knew how I was meant to say it. So he started laughing at the beginning and I hear him, there's like 15,000 people and I hear my little brother go, Aah! and I say, and I, I flipped and went, oh, fuck you, like that. And then he, he laughs even bigger and I go, I will knock your teeth out with a brick. And the problem is the crowd didn't know it was my brother <laughs> so they were like, that's a, that's a bit that's unreasonable. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, but he really flipped. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that come from nowhere. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, I find... What, see, this is, this is the thing with stand-up. I, uh, I, I'm endlessly fascinated by it because I, I like doing it. I like watching it. I like being in crowds. I love going to Edinburgh. And I love being in an audience and 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 watching a show. And I, I didn't do that for years because I was so scared of watching people that were just so much better than me, or feeling bad about myself, or or or, or thinking, oh, it's not, this isn't very good, and I'm embarrassed for them. I just sort of got over that. And it's the best because you you remember what it's like to be in the crowd, and you remember and you learn that silence is sometimes a beautiful thing. Oh, it's fine. But, but we as comics, for oh me God. particularly, for years I had a real. Jesus. 
like a terror of of having any anything where it was quiet that you just go but then you fundamentally you're like you can't you're not letting them think they have to think because you're thinking but if everything's like it's it's too much but it took me sitting down in a crowd to kind of go god these silences are beautiful because we're it's this this sort of extra connective thing um yeah but it's also the confidence as a stage performer of remembering because like the idea of relentless momentum and I've been certainly guilty of that a lot also you know that idea of just going I've got them and I'm just gonna keep going until we're finished and then and look you know as long as I don't at any stage like I've conned you in as long as I don't give you any time to think for one moment that like this isn't any good everything's gonna be fine yeah yeah you've got to have that get to that point where you're like I've got an end to this bit (laughs) and then I'm going to have a drink and I'm going to let it get quiet again because I'm confident enough I can get them back up to where they were only 30 seconds ago because in your mind you're like it's as if all that trust you've just earned in your mind like Rich Hall used to call it a joke by joke job application yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) to that because It does really feel, and that's it's so needy. And we know right. that audiences don't respect neediness. Like we've all seen those comedians over our lives who just want it too much, and they want it so much that the audience won't let them have it because it just doesn't. You've got to feel, you've got to feel like the performer doesn't need need it to, for yes. it to work properly, even though every bit of them actually <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like completely negates the thing that they're pretending to do which is that they don't absolutely need it because everyone's gone to a lot of fuss to make it happen if they don't really need it yeah <laughs> man right. yeah yeah um, but yeah and- so that moment when you have that confidence so do you think that's I mean that's already part of what you're doing now but mm-hmm. will it become more a part of what you're doing do you see that you, there'll be even more of a you know stylistic you know change to what you do or is it feeling pretty much like no this is the same sort of where we left off i I feel like i'm in a pretty good groove with it at the minute and i kind of sort of in the last couple of years like my last netflix special and the tv show i've done like the last sort of four seasons of it um sort of like a sort of gradual evolution really of just just I think because I started so young you just get you, you, you it takes you a while for if you're the young guy for people to trust your opinion on things so you have to be the kind of young guy and you are the young guy and you don't really know about the world but I think just it's just getting older isn't it and sort of you know reading more and traveling more and meeting different people and seeing different perspectives it's really fascinating and you can you've learned all these sort of skills you know that that's the main thing that kind of cooks me like i was in new zealand recently um i met these people that um um make coffins um this place called the coffin club and they because it turns out coffins are super expensive so they make cheap coffins for people that can't afford them and it just blew my mind like that selflessness of like there were like these little old ladies that were sat around making cheap coffins and I don't know what uh, what it is that I love about it but I can't get it out of my head and I, I just know that that will be something you know it's it's where you don't you don't I think if you don't have to force yourself to be fascinated it's always the best stuff if it's something that you're genuinely 
you you want to tell your mates about so if the crowd are your mates you're like oh my god i've just met these i met a little old lady who makes coffins and i i'm in love with her and i don't know why but and like and you're talking about it uh, you don't have to force that enthusiasm for it do you know what i mean it's kind of so I think that's the thing that gets me. And then when you find out about how expensive coffins are and that people can't afford it and that there's almost like these beautiful little funeral elves that exist in New Zealand making sort of cheap coffins for people who've got no money, you're like, oh, man, the world's fantastic. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's kind of what gets me, really. Um, OK, I'm so, all right. I love a lot about this. So... When you say you know it's going to be something, what is it? Is that just a sense, like something that you've fine-tuned over the years so you just have an instinctive sense of going, no, this is it, this is the moment, and then you can sort of declutter some other things that might be bubbling around to just like lean in and focus on. Like, you know, for example, if you're putting together like a show that had you know, five or six stories, let's just say for the, the the point of this argument, right? Like, and so, you know, you might have 30 stories or 40 stories or however many stories like that go into it. But like, do you have an, a real sense at the start, even before you have jokes, even before you have necessarily the funny bit about it of just going, I really feel like this is something I can, I can take some time and I can sit down, I can think about, I can start to talk about, I can like gather my thoughts around. Do you have that sense or is that something that only comes from going through those other processes first? I I feel like whenever I'm doing a new show, I need, like the last show that I did, I kind of sat down and I was just, I always go through my old notes. It's like a, I remember reading a thing ages ago that Woody Allen did. Uh, the, not that, but it was the, he. He basically he he wrote, he just wrote notes and he put them in a in a drawer. And then whenever he had to write a film, he used to pull the drawer out, have all the notes, and kind of go through it. So whenever I start again, as it were, whenever I finished a special, I kind of get go from my iPhone, look at all the things that I've sort of idly noted down. A lot of it's madness, isn't it? You know, when you go back through notes and you're like, I need to stop ISIS. All right, fucking hell. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what that is, mate. Why are marshmallows called that? Actually, I mean, flipping hell. Give us a chance. But but you sort of, you start noticing little things. You go, oh, that's interesting. That's fun. And then I sort of, I have a little right with that and I take that on stage. And I go to... I went to a place called Top Secret Comedy Club and I used I did that two sets there every night, um, four nights a week for like a month for like, you know, sort of anywhere between 10 and 20 minutes. And then once I've got 20 minutes, once I'm safe, then I'll sort of do 40 minutes. And then I find that's when I start doing the more kind of deeper things, if you like. But I need that surface level. I need to fling sweets at people lots of funny sweets that are definitely funny before I try and pull out a rotisserie chicken and and give them something a bit more substantial. I, I wouldn't be able to go to, like, a club or, or even start uh, the beginning of any process by, by talking about, like, the, the coffin club, for example. Do you see what I mean? It's like, it's because it's... it's it somehow... Ha- in my mind, it could have the capacity to be greater than just funny, and you don't want to spoil that. 
by by knocking it into just funny it's like what is it that you like about that i like the fact that so i saw them making like coffins for babies and i've never seen a baby's coffin before and i had this conversation with this lady where she said well i i make them so that nobody has to make them and it was so like pure and loving and particularly in this sort of time of division that really speaks of like street level knowledge that there is goodness in this world and i have met it uh, and i i feel like over an hour show that is a vital slice of humanity that i'd like to show people but i, I couldn't take that to a comedy club <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because do you know what I mean? It's just like, at, but um, and I respect comedy clubs, and they are. I, I, I really, I love them, and and I love like really making people laugh. But I think that's the thing that you just go. You couldn't do that at the comedy store, you know. Well, actually, no, no, it's not even true. That's bullshit. But you, you couldn't. Or, or I couldn't. I don't have the skill set to create that when people are having a night out and there's four people on and they just want to have a laugh. Do you know what I mean? But didn't I know... Want to think it, didn't, didn't want to... Just wanted to have a night out, didn't want to think about babies in coffee. Absolutely. Yeah, completely. But but it's sort of like... Regardless of the beautiful context of it. Sure. <laughs> it just was not... Just not what their night out was meant to be about. No, no. And, but, but, but it's sort of like there will definitely be people who will want... Hopefully, they, they will... That extra slice will be uh, sort of more nourishing for them. So that, so again, long answer to your question, but that's sort of how I do it really. I kind of, I always get like little building blocks and normally, you know, sort of topical stuff. And from that, I, I kind of, I've, I've got quite good at being on stage. And then once I've got that 20, I'm all right, man. I can I can get, mis- get myself out of, tr- out of trouble and, I can move things around and, you know, uh, kind of, yeah, get my what's, get myself across. What's your stand-up at its best? Like, when you feel like, this is what I do best. I know it's a, it not always the most fun thing for stand-ups com- comedians to talk about. Mm. Much more comfortable area for stand-up comics to talk about their worst gigs or their worst oh, yeah, experiences yeah, yeah, yeah. or how something terribly went wrong. So I do understand that it, asking you to... You know, comment on what you're good at is one of those things that doesn't necessarily come naturally to people but it's mm. a safe space here Russ and uh, uh, I'd, love to, I'd love to think that you could just tell me what do you think it is just what do you think it is that when you're at your best is happening hmm. I don't know it's sort of it's a, it's because there's so there's a myriad of views isn't there as a as a performer because we love the the sat down on a stool early beginnings of stuff and that kind of experience I don't think there's anything more beautiful in our world than when you see a comic come off stage and they're going that, that's going to be alright that that I'll tell you what that bit's going to that bit that bit is going to work it's going to work yeah. and and it's the potential and you've just had a, a sliver and I bet you everyone has that I think I think the day that you don't get that is you got you got to hang the mic up because I that feeling is like fucking hell there's stuff in that you know yeah. 
yeah so so i i like that and i like when you feel those like bit. The, it feels like the early oil miners you know they've been yeah <laughs> all over the place Man, <laughs> yeah finally. yeah and it's but it's so i don't know it's so special and then once you've done it like sort of five times and you really begin begin to feel it and then when you have like a gig that you can really smash into with all that stuff that you've that you've sort of began to grow I love and then so I, I like that kind of I like si- I like sitting down doing like an hour and a half in a small club and moving things around and letting the kind of water go over the pebbles as it were so one of um, my uh, things that people who listen to this podcast must be bored about me talking about but you know what it's my show I can talk about whatever I want to talk about so uh, is the two separate states at least in my approach to you know comedy and what I think about both of them which is the act of creation versus the act of recreation like I've mm. never done any acting I'm not particularly interested in acting and so I always find like the least interesting part almost of our jobs the once I've got it right mm. like that's mm. not entirely true because there's like a great joy in doing a really good show in front of a, an audience of people who really enjoy that show yeah. but there is a moment that is better than that that is before that which is that where you're I think you've got like it's not full creation you're not in full creation mode like you've started to do some recreation but there's still that magic in the air of you're still creating around some of that safety you have which is that's the best bit yeah. then the reward for all the hard work you've done is all the shows you do in front of people where it all works but there's just that <laughs> moment in between where it might not work and you finally get the idea that you're going to make it work that I just think is I that's, com- the, that's the sweet spot I completely agree with you 100 percent and and then but then what's really interesting is if you've like have you have you ever done like an arena no not really no no okay. I've no, never done a show that big no I right. kind of always had that I never knew how I would handle like a I mean we've sold you know, I mean, if we went and did the Melbourne Comedy Festival, we sell, you know, 20,000 tickets over yeah. the, the festival. We could put it in a big room if we wanted yeah. to. But I've, I've always liked the idea of just, like, 1,000 people, 1,500 people. Always feels like that's... I don't, I don't like too many more than that. I feel like I want to still be able to, like, the people up the back to see my face. Absolutely. So tell me your experience, because you paid those big, big arena shows. Yeah, so, but, so that's my point, that, that when you find yourself in front of sort of... Um, so the biggest one I've done was Manchester Arena um, and there was 18,000 people in and I did it in the round and so then that becomes so the recreation of the creation you you can't do it in a more um, wildly exciting um, place that you're literally surrounded by this wall of laughter that kind of crisscrosses over you and you're almost like a ballerina um you know and it's so so oddly that's i couldn't so i i normally do when i do the uk i do like kind of one or two arenas in each city and but i could um, i wouldn't i think i'd struggle if i just if i just did those 
I'd find that really hard. But to have these kind of little cherries on the top where you go, blimey, this all existed in a small club and then it was in a 200-seater and then it moved up to a 1,000-seater and I, I got it all working and I got it working in different parts of the country. Um, and the irony is, you know what I love about this as well, now that we talk about it and we think about it, I love these conversations. I don't know if anybody else is interested in them, but, you know, I, again, yeah. uh, I, oh, I am. I'm interested in them. Good, it's got good. a very captive audience at the moment. So uh, the fact that you can do an arena tour or like a big, you know, um, you know, big theatre tour and be doing what is in essence the best version of the show, the, uh, yeah. the repeatable version of the show. Yeah. But you do know that there is one routine in there that the best time you ever did it was when you were working out and you were never able to recapture what it was about the magic of that time that you did it. You've yes. tried, you've tried to reproduce the moment, the language, all those things, but it never will because that night everyone was on the exact same page in that that's the magic of the creation in it mm, that mm. sometimes can never be recreated. I think. Absolutely true, yeah. Yeah, but then I think, and then that's, I think that's also why specials are great or because you're uh, you have a deadline on it and that's it and then you you never go back to it i can't imagine what it must be like to be doing stuff that you've been doing for 20 years do you know what i mean i don't know how people would do that because that you you just die inside because creatively when I do an arena, you stand still because the, or I, I don't have the skill set to start riffing in front of 18,000 and go, oh, bloody hell, funny thing happened on the way. Well, it better be good because, do you know what I mean? We're, we are primed and ready. So it has to be this sort of all-powerful monologue. You should where, have been thinking about this before we bought our tickets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it's, um, yeah, so it's kind of, but but I guess all aspects of it are are enjoyable and and I tell you what's really fun as well that becomes really super exciting I mean this must be so boring for people I'm sorry but we've got two people here that really like talking about stand up so <laughs> sorry um, but when you then go to different parts of the world doing Russell's stand-up. been on a lot of other podcasts recently <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. talk about a whole range of other things yeah, yeah. it's absolutely fine there is plenty of you around for people to enjoy this is what we're doing so let's you know yeah. into it I say but but when you go, for example, like when you gig in like Sweden or Germany or Norway, like gigging in Europe, which I did on, I've done the last two tours I've gigged in Europe. So, so exhilarating, like mind-blowingly cool. And you've, you've gigged a lot in the States. And I remember, because uh, you were like working up in the States, weren't you? You were like working shows up in comedy clubs in America. I remember the, either talking to you about that or hearing about it. And I really loved that. I was just, what a great thing to do. And it's sort of, you know, just, you know, like really, really famous, excellent comic in Australia. Just because I think you've been, at, this is it, you've been in a comedy club in Nashville. Um, and I was playing there and I was like, holy shit, is that Will Anderson? And then the guy at Avalon, David Martin, I think, was like, oh, yeah, Will just kind of, yeah, just bounces around, does comedy clubs. So I was like, what a brilliant way of doing it. Because then you get outside yourself and you get outside your comfort zone and it's like, whoa, I've got stuff that works in Australia and... Chicago and Nashville and Denmark and you you just get this better kind of total version and 
it's almost like being an open spot again it's so exciting rather than if you just I'll just stay in England and only be funny here well you know. also I mean it's just about your craft though isn't it because like I mean you know often your first show or you you know when you're establishing yourself you're telling the audience all about you so you have a bunch of jokes that are shorthand explaining to them what they need to know about you to understand what you do the more well known you become and the more that people already know a bit about you before they come to the venue you know that night the less you have to do that you don't have to come out and say hi I'm Russell Howard I'm a stand-up comedian at the start they all implicitly understand that you yeah. know from the contract they've entered into to come and see you in this arena you know they're across it so you can just say and another thing I've been wondering lately and get on with what you're doing but mm. I think going into those foreign contexts you actually uh, remember how important it is that there still will be people in the room who don't know everything about you there is still people in that room who've never seen you before they've been dragged along by a mate or whatever going hey I really like this thing and it doesn't actually do you any um, disservice to spend some time and reintroduce yourself absolutely and then the what's even more of a head fuck is when you start doing Netflix specials and you realise within those first couple of minutes you're competing with a documentary about Michael Jordan <laughs> It's just right. like, it's like, you've you got to get going quick, man. Get the, the, it, man. Do you know what I mean? It's like, why should I spend my time? Because even Jordan's early years are fascinating. So. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that, that's the funny thing. So it's not even like, so you have to, you have to perform to people as if they don't know who you are and never take for granted that they're going to enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? And like you say, it's, it's just really, I remember doing gigs in New York for the first time. Uh, and I'd just done like uh, I'd just done a week of gigs at the Albert Hall and then I just did a week of gigs in comedy clubs in New York and just ate shit because I just couldn't ex I couldn't um, get across I, do you know what I mean and then after a week I'd sort of figured it out and then as a yeah as a consequence you become better because you're like Jesus I'm too English centric here I'm you know I've got punchlines that end with you know curly whirlies or digestive biscuits and it's just like you know and I'm not on about like kind of just sidewalk pavement and that kind of stuff but you realise sort of cultural things about you and about your kind of comedy and then you know it's just I don't know that's that's what I love about doing a world tour as well that then when you do a sort of Netflix special at the end of it um, you've sort of you've made it funny and accessible and the version of the show you want it to be for everybody you know um, and also at the minute it's so crazy like being in New Zealand and seeing the way in which their Prime Minister dealt with Covid versus the way that we've dealt with it and there was a story when I was there that said you know, there's three cases in the community, so Auckland shut down the same day. Um, all across the the the, the right wing press in the UK was like, we've only got nine thousand cases today, nine thousand new cases, and there was only three hundred deaths. Why are we not opening up? And it was just kind of really fascinating, sort of street level knowledge to kind of go god this is look at like and being in both system and kind of seeing you know it's really interesting man you learn yeah, it's been, you learn a lot been, about go on sorry go on. it's easy of course to be a small country that is an island like new zealand or australia and like they are advantages to it but yes the propensity to shut things down has now led to the fact that we have such an amazing 
like opportunity like mm. realistically like you know to be, a, be do, doing shows again you're in mm. Australia and you're doing shows oh hang on uh, and, oh, that's okay there's there's a guy here to uh, change a bit of glass in the window of my office and so we'll finish up soon it's okay It'll okay be, okay okay he won't start doing that he's a bit earlier than he was going to be where um where is your office where do you live uh, just at home in Sydney, so um, nice. Yeah, nice. so but it's a it's been broken. This piece, I've got this pane of glass on my office uh, wall for a very long time, and uh, coincidentally, he's just come to repair it right now. So nice. I imagine that will probably uh, interrupt the podcast. So we'll we'll do the questions that um, I regularly ask at the end, and we'll finish this up. Can we plug okay. um, stuff for you though? Like, have you still got any tickets to shows available in Australia? Well, hopefully, I'm doing doing some shows in sydney um and i'm doing uh some shows in in melbourne that, that i think they're all yeah they're all sort of socially distanced it's all sort of covid friendly um and i think that's it and i think there might be one or two left i don't i don't think there's many no, that's not me in a sort of big heady way i just think we're only selling a third of the tickets so it's kind of like sell out but yeah so it'll be quite it's quite weird doing uh Doing, we did a show in Adelaide yesterday, and it was half full, but it was full. Yeah. Kind of weird, man. Just that, like, there was like eight hundred people in this sort of sixteen hundred, but it was good. It was still good, you know. It's yeah, still okay because that's I'm about to do like a bunch of shows that are in that similar configuration where you're just like, no. Even if we sell this out, it's going to be half full, and they're all going to be spaced out. So, is it okay? It's more than okay because it's sort of you just they. Like, how ridiculous is it? They've been waiting for you, you know? And you get to... You haven't gigged for a year. So, have you gigged at all for a year? No, no. I mean, literally, I did my first stand-up spot in a year, two nights ago or something. So, yeah, and, how, was, and how was it? Oh, it was... Okay, so, to just be realistic about it, I've done three improvised stand-up shows. So, I do this improvised stand-up show, which is literally a crowd work show, right? Like, I just go out and riff and make the whole show up, and it, they're fun times. And I've done three of those, because I decided that was the best way to get back into it, rather than, like, I haven't fully formed my ideas about what I want to talk about. So, instead, just in the moment, if stuff comes out that's of the moment, that's good, but everybody knows it's not, like, my definitive thoughts on this topic, right? So, I really love those. But then the other night, I had to do, like, a, a gala spot, like, 20 minutes at, like, a big outdoor, you know, city of sydney show that with a whole bunch of comedians and so i had to do like jokes i've thought of you know the audience is a long way away and we're outdoors on a rock and roll stage and there's no roof and you know so you're really like i better do some jokes that i've already said before and that felt weird like that is actually i was i actually had to go a bit deeper like from you know a few years ago because my most topical stuff which was only really like a year ago felt like it was 20 years ago yeah yeah like it was better to talk about things that weren't topical at all because then you weren't at least bringing up topicality but the idea of talking about australia was on fire a year ago yeah like honestly just people were like nah if you mm. we've moved on from that we've got yeah. other things on our mind so yeah it reinforced in my mind that if you're going to talk about anything particularly topical at the moment it is hard to avoid the big c in the room still absolutely but i think what you uh, i i don't think there's anything wrong with having a hefty portion of a show where you're very much in the room 
because I think that's that that's what people have missed. That's what we've all missed. And that moment where that electric moment where you're like, I like him. He's being funny. He's actually being funny now. This is now. Look, because she said that, and he must have. Because they and you forget how the kinetic energy of that, and it's not for nothing. It's kind of, you know just when people are lost in laughter you just forget how magnificent it is so if 800 people laugh it's loud man it like even if it should be 1600 if there's 800 of them kind of lost you hear that and um you know particularly if you've spent a year i mean in the uk we did shows i was doing shows in car parks not in not to cars but like in this kind of car park in bristol i did a bunch of those and i did some of the clapham grand and they were all kind of socially distanced but they were amazing and that was after a period of like four months not being out of work but the excitement of like particularly having I found having new ideas so much easier to communicate I'd, rather than like if you if you went back to your old act just because you you know oh it's meant to sound like this but so you've got something to compare it to whereas if it's like you say an outdoor gig or there's 800 people it doesn't matter that's what it has to sound like and they're having a great time um you know the only yeah, it was, it was what makes it weird what it makes it weird yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Because I like it was that thing of like I've loved the improv shows, like, and because it is we're all, we are all in a moment, particularly the first one back when everyone knew that like I hadn't been on stage for like eleven months and yeah. we're all there and going what's going to happen, what's going to come out, you know, like, and we all had that feeling. So they've been great in their own ways, but yeah. but yeah, having to go back and put on my old clothes was like oh this feels weird. I feel like feel like this is dated really badly in the time when we've all been off so now i have to have a think about what i'm going to actually say about you know now do some mm. oh, it'd be great man it's just yeah it'll be it'll be great i, I mean it. there's things in my improv shows there's literally yeah. things that have come up ideas that have come up that i'm already like okay that that kind of probably is a good idea that i can like your you know, baby coffins. There's a couple of moments in there that yeah. you wouldn't have gone to if you weren't in front of a crowd on a roof going somewhere with someone or hadn't talked to someone who had that specific job. Yeah, that exactly. Jump off into that roof where you're like, oh, oh, it turns out I've got a lot of thoughts about this. I didn't realize how many thoughts about this. I had this story that was about... Um, so I live in an area of Australia now that is the sort of anti-vaxxer capital of Australia. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they've leaned in heavily to the whole scamdemic, you know, QAnon yeah, take on the world. And so mm. I've kind of been gathering a few bits and pieces and thoughts around that, but I hadn't found anything that was going to make it unique. You know, mm -hmm. like it's a topic that somebody else could have just done those same jokes a bit, you know. I just didn't mm. feel like I had... But then I had this tradesman come to my house and I say tradesman very vaguely because I haven't worked out how I'm going to tell this story when I tell it but he was like f such a lovely guy and such a good tradesman but totally full on you know QAnon anti-vax you know blah 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 and we had this like day together where he was helping me with my septic tanks and showing me how to do everything and every other bit of the conversation was so good and like it was just a real day about can you you know just exist side by side with somebody who believes like completely different things to you and all this sort of stuff and so the biggest thing of all is I don't know how to tell the story without revealing like what his occupation is and I live in a small enough place where that um, 
if, if I name what occupation he does, it'll get back to him that he is in this story and I don't want to lose him as the person who does that occupation at my house because he is really good at his job and I want to like... So anyway, the bit on the night at the improv show was like 15 minutes about me walking you through the process of how hard it had been to have this experience and not know what I could call him. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's the, the bit. Like, I don't know how to unlock the next bit yet. But yeah. if I have this bit at the start about mm. setting up, that's actually where the funniest bit is. The funniest bit is my personal connection to this drama of, like, this person I don't agree with but I like and that is, you know, this great tradesman that I don't want to lose as a tradesman by naming him in my comedy story, but I need to tell this story. Like, there's all this, like, friction and stuff in there that is much more interesting than the eventual jokes yeah. about those topics that will be also that will be good now in the context of that bit exactly yeah and and it makes it more authentic and more real and weirdly that's the experience that most people go through that uh, it's just a fucking blizzard of admin life and then you sort of have these these sort of moments but everyone knows somebody that's sort of a bit a bit anti-vax and the, even anti-vax is quite, it's such a big term because there are some people that are full-on QAnon and there's some people that are just a bit scared and they they're a bit worried but somehow it's like it's amazing how quickly something becomes polarized do you know what I mean and, and it becomes a cultural war like instantly um, so it's yeah I think weirdly we've got and what I love about that story as well is that you're you're trying to find a connection with him do you know what I mean like you're not you're not going oh fuck get out of my house I can't have it do you know what I mean it's like I remember my mate was doing a documentary in uh, in the states they were hunting uh, for Bigfoot and uh, they spent a m during the pandemic. They did this as well. They were hunting like deep in the forests for this guy that, that um, they were trying to find Bigfoot. Um, and this guy was just talking about like Trump, and he just kept talking about Trump and blah blah blah, and loads of stuff about Nancy Pelosi. And he was trying to ask my friend what he thought about Trump, and obviously my friend wasn't really a fan of his. But but he was like, this is such a small part of us what you think about Trump and what I think about him, it just doesn't, like, come on, let's just ignore it and let's get to the root of it. And he's just sort of said 15 minutes later, they were all sort of joking across the political divide about the various menial jobs that their wife demanded that they do. And there was such connection between these kind of like New Yorkers, liberal elites and these kind of like, you know, uh, Southern Bigfoot hunters. And I think that is the amazing thing about stand-up, that you, like, we naturally are trying to make those kind of connections. Do you know what I mean? Like, and particularly with you, with your tradesman, it's like, I really need him. And he's so, he's so good that I'm willing to, to let it slide. And that's really funny. And that's how people feel like, I love my dad. I can't lose my dad because he believes in fucking that, you know, like I've got cousins, man, like that, that believe that there's a tunnel underneath Oprah Winfrey's house where the babies are delivered yeah. and then they drink the blood. But I love them. They're my cousins. I'm not going <laughs> to... Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to get rid of my cousins. They're such fun. But... And I think that's... And I think that's how most people feel, really. People don't... People aren't cancelling their family. <laughs> do you know what no, I mean? No, <laughs> it's, but like... it's hard. Like, it's hard for people, I think. And it is... Like, you do wonder what your level of, like, 
because I didn't I realised at the time and again this is I think where this becomes interesting for Mm -hmm. me at least is I realised at the time I didn't have the arguments you know I did not have the arguments to best refute what was going on and I had those arguments oh five is five okay yeah okay five minutes before I uh, yeah so I didn't have the arguments at the time and I thought I was smarter than that and I know as a comedian I'll probably go back and reframe it like I did have more of the arguments than I did but isn't the more interesting thing to kind of not reframe that moment but to admit that you didn't have the arguments and then secondly the other bit was that then later on he was like giving me some back advice I have a bad back and like he was a yoga teacher for 20 years and he like he was giving me all these tips around my bad back and like he works outdoors now he's like fixed his back and it was remarkable to me how little I thought about his ideas of QAnon and yet how attentive I was to his ideas about yoga and mm. like even that that I was like this guy who just proved that I could not trust him about one thing like was now like I was absolutely 100% in on because I thought he actually knew what he was talking about when it came to that right like, totally. so I think that's like to me as a like an adult comedian I feel like that's where the more interesting stuff is now. Like rather totally. than that dichotomous sort of black and white, you know, I hate this, I love this. There is Absolutely. Actually... But like, why, why is it that you're kind of into it? But it's just so much more fascinating, the nuance of it. It's like, like what, why do my aunties always leave the news on when they leave the house for their dogs? You know what I mean? Like, like I've seen them sort of like circle back and then go back in and switch the telly on. <laughs> like you know what I mean I, I just find that so and you'll have a conversation you go why are you doing that well they like the news do they I've, I've got to get my glass replaced so two more questions these are cool, compulsory cool. questions so people will be mad if I don't ask them uh, sweet I know that I'm asking for a rushed answer to this but what do you think happens when we die oh god um oh, flipping out well, I, I didn't anticipate this being the question. I'm terrified of death, so I would love it if I would... Unfortunately, there isn't a heaven, but I would absolutely love it. Like I'm like old-school heaven. I'm talking clouds. I'm talking everyone I loved in their perfect form waiting for me and we have a great big party and they tell me about all the things they've seen me do and I take that embarrassment and it's funny and great it's like a roast for all the stuff they've seen me do unfortunately I think it's just never-ending darkness and it horrifies and scares me I didn't know that was gonna be the question will I read it it'll be a good uh, conversation for another catch-up at another time yeah 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 this again but uh, Uh uh, final question I have a time machine I can take it any point in the future any point in the past you can visit yourself you can change something in your life you can not interact with yourself at all you can just go like see something you've always wanted to see I don't mind but I'd prefer if you took the flight and you know went somewhere where would you like Mm. to go probably go back to my uh my wedding day god it was brilliant like all the cliches were true it was was best it was the best day i was surrounded by everyone i love um and it was just it was such it felt a bit like like as a comedian all the kind of sort of feelings of happiness that you get it felt like we've been sniffing glue for years and finally i got some proper heroin and i explained it to my wife like that the next day as we were driving away and she was like what 
and, and funnily enough, I said it to you as a comedian, and you understood. And isn't that isn't that the problem with fucking us? Like that's the thing that fascinates me about being a comedian. I if I, I can spend the last five minutes before I go on stage with somebody who I've never met, but if he's a comic we're golden and yet yeah. if it's somebody I know and love five minutes before it's like you need to get away from me <laughs> it's awful um, uh, thank you for doing this today mate I really do appreciate it mate that was banging I, I really enjoyed that 